I'm so glad that you're here. Happy Easter. And uh, I'm so excited to be celebrating with you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Um, we uh, uh, Thank you to Andy who has done the design of our stage and changed it up a couple of times. It started out at Christmas with the incarnation where we used that corrugated steel all around and it was all kind of in one piece. And then it was Andy's idea to take pieces of that and piece it together for Easter. And the white pieces have, uh, a lot of the people in the church have, from the kids on up, have written things that people, that, that uh, the resurrection means to them, that walking with Jesus, what that means to them. And I have a couple that I want to quote as we begin. Uh, and we talk about the power of the resurrection Uh, One wrote, God has done so many amazing things in my life from allowing me to meet my husband at just the right time to carrying through the valley of postpartum overwhelm to providing for my family in so many amazing ways. I will praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, Walking with Jesus gives me peace. For you have been my help in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 63, 7-8. I will never leave you or forsake you. For 57 years, this promise from Jesus has kept me going through thick and thin, in good times and bad, in times of flourishing, in times of catastrophe. His promise is true. He has always been there for me. Thank you, Jesus. I am so thankful that Jesus sent his comfort of the Holy Spirit to guide me and keep me growing in Jesus, in his truth and in his love. He lives in me and I am united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And then finally, one other wrote, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If we were to just take the time to testify, the kids are supposed to be dismissed. (laughs) I don't know if any kids missed out on that already, but off you go. Thank you. That would be Dr. Norbeck, me in line. Um... As we see uh, the opportunity for people to write what Christ has meant to them, what having a relationship with a risen Savior, one who intercedes for them, one who carries their burdens, uh, this would be filled, would be flooded with stories. We could stand up and testify, and I think in heaven we will. I think when we stand before Jesus, we will testify to what Christ has done for us and be able to look back with fresh eyes on things that have happened to us and say, oh wow, he was walking with me through that. He was carrying me then. He, he had me. And I didn't know it. There is a victory and as we finalize our time of walking with Jesus, this victory, we're going to look at sharing his victory and walking with Jesus. And what does it mean for us to share in the victory of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to look at three sections of Scripture starting in Matthew 27, and uh, we're going to see that there was opposition to the resurrection. So if you turn uh, in Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66, you'll see it up on the screens also. I'll read just this section, and what I want you to see is that the Scriptures are not shy about talking about opposition to the resurrection. Some here might say, well, the resurrection's a myth. 
Some here might say that the resurrection is just a made-up story that people have used over the years. Some people might be a little incredulous. Is this true? Well, I want you to know that the Scriptures admit that there were some even then that had their doubts. In chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, it says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This passage begins with the next day, the day after preparation. This is Saturday. This is the Sabbath day. This is the day after they've been preparing for the Sabbath. And that speaks to the urgency of the chief priests and the Pharisees that on their Sabbath day, they go and seek counsel from a Roman trying to make sure that Jesus, the story of Jesus, continues to stay in the grave. That this story doesn't get purchased again with his disciples. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now, on the Sabbath, they wouldn't have gone into Pilate's presence because they would have become unclean. And they were very concerned about becoming unclean. They weren't problem, they had no problem with dishonesty or polit- politics or even murder, but were worried about being unclean and stepping into the presence of Pilate. So here are the chief priests and the Pharisees. And I want you to know these are folks that don't normally get along. The chief priests would have been the group from the Sadducees, and the Pharisees were a different group. And between those two, they were at odds with each other. But what unifies them is the urgency to make sure that Jesus stays in the grave. To make sure that Jesus doesn't rise. And they're not concerned that Jesus will rise from the dead. They're concerned that the disciples will come and steal the body and say that he rose from the dead. There's not a lot of faith going on here. In verse 63 it says, and, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, that's how they're referring to Jesus, that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Well, that's a remarkable comment considering that the disciples didn't remember that. The disciples aren't going to the grave and expecting Jesus to make good on his promise. The ones who were adversaries of Jesus remember that he promised, and he did promise, he promised again and again, we'll look at that momentarily, that he made a promise that he would rise from the dead while he was still alive. But the disciples were confused, they, they had their doubts, they had their fears and disappointments, what, what they expected to happen didn't happen. But the Pharisees and the chief priests, they remember that Jesus said it distinctly. In Matthew 12, 38 to 40, let me read that for you. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
Now, the disciples heard that too, but he said that to the Pharisees. So they're in this context of the resurrection, you have two groups of people, basically. You have the people that are against the resurrection, that don't believe in Jesus, that want him to stay in the grave. They actually remember that Jesus said he was going to rise. And then you have his followers who don't remember that he said he was going to rise, and they're not showing up at the tomb expecting him to be alive. So really, Jesus' resurrection is happening in the context of epic human failure. But thank God that it doesn't count on us. The resurrection isn't because we deserved it or because we were really great and we willed it to be so that he would come back. It's the sovereignty of God and his loving plan that is not thwarted by humans. And because of that, we can put our trust in it. Humanity fails, and God's sovereign, loving plan is not thwarted. Humanity doubts, and God's sovereign, sovereign, loving plan is not thwarted. So as the passage continues, Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. What was the first fraud? The first fraud from their perspective is that he claimed to be the Son of God that he claimed to be the Messiah, that he came to be the one who could forgive sins. And if he rises from the dead, then these are true. And if they fake that he rises from the dead, then they're going to be doing the same battle again. And they've just killed him. They're afraid that the disciples are going to go steal him and say that he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Little did they know the disciples had no clue. That they didn't remember what Jesus said. They were completely oblivious. In verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Sealing the stone probably means putting a wax ring or melting wax around it, kind of like the seal on a letter. Doesn't mean you couldn't force it open. Wasn't like concrete or epoxy or something like that. This is a wax seal, but that wax seal would say, if you break this, you're messing with Rome. So they put the wax seal around that stone up against the facade of the, of the grave, and then they put two guards around it. And the assumption is, is that this will secure the tomb and make sure that Jesus doesn't rise. Opposition to the resurrection is not just in the first century. Opposition to the resurrection happens today. Not only are we surrounded by people that would doubt the validity of the resurrection, if we're honest, sometimes our own hearts doubt the validity of the resurrection. Sometimes we wonder, did it really happen? Here are some of the conclusions that some have come to. Jesus' disciples and witnesses lied or embellished for money or power. That's one of the claims, that in those first days that, in fact, Jesus' disciples and the witnesses, up to 500 people, got together and said, we are going to be much better off if we start preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than if we would not. But for any of you who know the story, it did not turn out for money or power for those who followed Jesus. It cost them everything. And for the apostles, 
all but one, it cost them their lives. They died violent deaths and went to their grave saying, he is risen. Not one of them denied. And they all agreed to the same story. No matter which direction they went or what book they wrote, they wrote the same story that Jesus was raised from the dead. In this is a very powerful argument for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were a disciple, let's just pause there for a second. If you were one of the disciples, would you write a story where you're failing again and again and again? Is that how you would tell the story? Wouldn't you cut yourself a little slack? But the reality is they're truthful about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are also honest about their failures, and they deserve none of this. In the last three sermons, we've heard the disciples are failing. They're abandoning Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. They're not standing with him. They're not praying with him when he asks for prayers. Is that the kind of thing, story you would make up? And then when it comes to the resurrection, they declare with one voice that Jesus is raised. Another claim is that Jesus' disciples and witnesses were deceived or confused. That something came on them. They all saw a vision. When he showed up to the 12, when he showed up to the 500. The problem with the deceived or confused is again how all of them stuck with the same story and continued to tell that story in the context, the generation when it happened, when people could cry out, it didn't happen. When people could stand up and fight it, they wrote down what happened and they talked about Pilate and they talked about the Pharisees and they talked about the religious leaders and why did they not give an upcry and say, this is crazy, these people are nuts. The reality is the church flourished in the first century and people flooded into the church. While this testimony was fresh and many people could declare whether it happened or not, 500 people saw him in Galilee. Well, I, you would think that people could say, well, that's not happened. Let's say today we decide we're going to tell a lie. All of us. Let's come up with a good one. And we're all going to agree, and nobody changed the story. How far do you think it'll go? Chuck Colson said one of the greatest arguments for the resurrection is that after going through Watergate, he couldn't get the few people in the room to agree and, and stop talking about it. Do we really think that we could get 500 people or the 12 apostles, the 11 apostles that remained, to agree and go to their grave for a confusion, for a lie. Opposition to the resurrection is real. Another claim is that Jesus only fainted and faked it and then died later. So he's on the cross, he's going through his misery, and he pretends he's dead. Or he faints. They take him down and he's in the cool of his grave and then wakes up and comes back and sees his disciples. And what, what about the validity of that? How cruel would our Savior be if that's what he did? Can you imagine Jesus who taught what he taught and led the way that he led doing any such thing? For any of us that know the stories of Jesus, 
that he would fake it, that he would allow a lie to cost his followers their lives. Not only that, what would happen to a Roman soldier that didn't kill the guy up there on the crucifixion? The Roman soldiers were very good at their job. They knew how to make sure a person was dead. They weren't going to let somebody go off fainted and have them revive later. Roman soldiers were efficient and effective. I don't think any of these are likely. And the arguments of the disciples being self-centered cowards, or as we're about to see, using women who at that time in the first century could not be witnesses, the fact that women were the, test, the first witnesses of the, of the resurrection, not how you make up a story, not how you fake a story. And it didn't go well for the early believers. All of that to be said that that's not going to convince everybody. Everyone here has a choice to decide what they do with Jesus. Everyone in the world has to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus. And if he's raised and if he's the Savior, there is no bigger question for your whole life. If he's raised from the dead and he's the Savior and this life doesn't end with death, dear friends, this is the reason I preach. Is I want you to know that Jesus is risen and he's changed my life. And he can change yours also. We go from opposition to the resurrection around me to affirmation of the resurrection to me. Look at 28 verses 1 through 7. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. As for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now we know that from the four stories of the resurrection, that Mary and Mary were not the only women that were there, that, that uh, Mark has Salome with them, and Luke has Joanna with them, and John only concentrates on Mary Magdalene. But we have this story of women only going to see Jesus, and they're not expecting him to be alive. They're expecting that they can finish the funeral rites that they didn't finish because of the Sabbath on Friday night. So they come with myrrh, and they come with things to anoint this dead body, and they get there and find out that the dead body isn't there. That's what they're going there for. But the reality is, throughout the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the women shine as champions more than the men. Just saying. They're the ones that are there at the cross. They're the ones that stand by Him. We don't see them scattered. And here at the resurrection, they're there to testify about Him being raised. And it's going to take a little prodding from the women to get the men to show up. And I'm not saying anything against men. 
I'm just saying, give glory where glory's due, and, and women um, did a much better job than us guys. But as God's sovereign plan is in place, he chose to use women as the witnesses. And I can't tell you that in the first century what that meant. They couldn't testify in court. That's how it was in the first century. Their testimony would not be counted as truth. It's not fair, but that's how it was. So for the gospel story to be told again and again with women being the ones who were supporting Jesus at the end and women being there to see the resurrection, this is so much like God. And not at all like a fake story. The world might not affirm women, but God does. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, if you're one of the angels in heaven, who wouldn't want this job? This would be cool. And moving the stone was with an earthquake. He shook the ground. God shook the ground. This was not because the plates were moving. This is because God is acting. And of all of the four testimonies of the resurrection, this is the one that comes closest to the actual moment of resurrection. And when Jesus went from dead to life and when his body was resurrected, the earth shook because God changed all of humanity, the whole human story. Before Jesus rising from the dead, Sin was still reigning over humanity, but from this moment on, we are raised with Christ, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. And sin has no purchase over us, and death has no sting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. This moment changes everything, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I think that's kind of cool too, with him sitting up there. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Compare this moment to what we just saw on Friday night where darkness covered the land for three hours. And now the brilliance of God is on display. Just like the transfiguration in Matthew 17, 2. There he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Having been in the presence of the risen Savior, the angel shone bright. It's not because the angel was impressive. It's because his Savior was impressive. Our Savior was impressive. And the light of God was shining in him and through him. The guards fell like dead. <laughs> There's irony in that. They came to make sure the dead stayed dead. And in their efforts to make sure that the dead stayed dead, their fear caused them to fall to the ground. And we don't have an explanation whether they fainted or, you know, they've just seen the stone move and an angel's on display. We don't know if Jesus showed up at this point and they saw Jesus walk out. 
But either way, they dropped to the ground in fear. And I want you to know that Roman soldiers were trained to never drop to the ground. They were never to give ground. And falling to the ground was the equivalent of defeat for them. And the fear of what God is doing at the resurrection causes these soldiers, the guards, to tremble and become like dead men. And they're left at that point right there. And how many people come to the precipice of Easter, the precipice of an open tomb and the story of the risen Savior and never secure salvation? Fear can be what brings us to the grave that's opened. But look at the difference between what happens with these guards and what happens with the women who are here. In verse 5, but the angel said to the women, now I, again, I wonder what the guards are thinking and doing while he's talking to the women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. There is an affirmation for those of us who believe that is from God himself. Have you felt it? Have you felt in your spirit the affirmation that Jesus is your Savior and he's alive? Have you been moved in your heart? Have you been changed? Has the Holy Spirit filled you and you felt this change? But it's so much more than that. And I'll testify that in my conclusion. The life change that has happened for me these many decades that I've walked with my Savior. But in it is this affirmation that He is risen. And I can declare that my Savior lives because He lives in my heart and because He's changed me and because He is moving in my heart. And There was a moment just recently that a dear friend to me said to me when she was hearing compliments about a life, don't you know that it was Jesus that made him good? Don't you know that it was Jesus? It's an affirmation of the resurrection to me personally. And here is this affirmation to the women where they hear from the angel, don't be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know you came here to see a Jesus who was dead. He's not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Now let me affirm to you what Jesus said in his ministry that was missed. Now, to be fair, three years of somebody talking, you're not going to remember everything. But the Holy Spirit reminded them when they wrote the Scriptures, and here's Matthew, one of the apostles, remembering what Jesus said. In Matthew 12, 38 to 40, actually we read that one already. Let's go to, to Matthew 16, 21. Sorry if I threw you, Jonathan. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. In Matthew 17, 22 and 23, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Maybe they thought he would be raised to life in those universal day thing where it's going to be centuries or something. I don't know why they didn't get that it was actual three days. Matthew 20, 18 and 19. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will be condemned to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. He's being pretty clear. Matthew 26, 31 and 33, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. This isn't a story about humans not getting it. This is a story about a God who loves humans who don't get it. This is a story about God breaking in and our doubts and our fears and affirming to each of us one by one the confidence that we have because Jesus is raised, my whole life has meaning. The difficulties that I go through the challenges that I have, the sins that I struggle with, all of those things are caught up in this story, this love story that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, the angel says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Well, we just read that he has testified that he will go into Galilee in 26.32. That he will see him in Galilee. Just as the, whole, the, the angel got to affirm to these women that Jesus is risen, now the women get the opportunity to go to affirm to the men who didn't show up that Jesus is risen. And now years later, I have the privilege to affirm to you that Jesus is risen. And I love how the angel ends here, see, I have told you. It's as if to say, I've done what I was sent to, be, to do. I, my job was to just tell you, he's raised from the dead, and this changes everything. Stop tending the dead. He's raised. And because of that, we will rise also. There is opposition to the resurrection around me and in me. There is affirmation to the resurrection to us, to me. And there is victory in the resurrection. Look at verses 8 through 10 of chapter 28. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee and there they will see me. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. It wasn't just fear. It was fear and great joy. They've heard the news that Jesus is risen. And yes, fear is still part of the story, but there is a great joy that attends this victory in the resurrection. And they ran to tell his disciples. And along the way, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Hiya. Good to see you. It's personal. He was their friend. He was the one that loved them. He was the one that they knew. It was personal. They knew Jesus. And the victory in the resurrection, and the ultimate victory in the resurrection is life over, life over death, but it's a, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ where He is our friend and He makes sense of what we go through because we go through it with Him and He goes through it with us. The purpose of this sermon series was to walk with Jesus, and I have to tell you that there are moments when we couldn't walk with Him. There are moments that He went to the cross, and we couldn't share in that. He had to do that alone. And there was a resurrection that happened, and we couldn't share in that, but as soon as the death and resurrection were ended, we get to come back and flood in and share it with Him. And we now have a renewed and restored relationship with God the Father. We have a renewed and restored relationship with each other. He brings peace. We even have a renewed and restored relationship with ourselves. Like The self-hatred and the way that we view ourselves is completely different when we look through the eyes of the one who loves us. You mean you love us so much you would die for us? And we all who believe flood back at the cross and at the open tomb and see that that victory is my victory. It's It's personal. It's a relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ, and that means I can talk to Him about my frustrations and my fears and my anger and my disappointments, and He makes sense of it and causes it to have value that's eternal. And when I breathe my last, it is not all loss. In fact, that last breath is the beginning of the first breath of eternity. The promise is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All because of the resurrection. Because He lives, I live. Behold, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. This is a good response to Easter. Take hold of Jesus and worship him. He's the hero of the story. He's the one that we long for. And in it, we find our purchase. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. A celebration is about to happen. You thought it was all lost at the cross, but it is all gained because of the resurrection. There's victory in the resurrection for us 
What does this mean to me personally? It means victory over sin. I can testify, and I wish I could bring before you junior high teachers who had me as a junior higher. My wife, who's back there in the back row, dumped me when I was a freshman in high school, and she should have because I lacked character. I was not naturally a good guy. I am supernaturally a good guy. Right? Resurrection power. If he would want me, I promise you he wants you. I had a conversation with a guy that had my vice principal from junior high in the background, and he was hearing that I was becoming a pastor. He laughed and laughed and laughed in the background, and that's how the phone conversation ended. He couldn't stop laughing. I spent a lot of time with my vice principal in junior high. I didn't know he was a believer, but he didn't know that I would become one. Resurrection power has meant power over sin, not just when I was young, but as I grew older and as I struggled. I was just testifying to a friend of mine that I struggle with anger. I I don't want to put my list of sins up here. I want to tell you that God brings victory over temptation and sin. There is power in the resurrection. You do not need to stay where you are. You can overcome. How do I know that my Redeemer lives? Because He has changed my life. I am a sermon to my family. I'm a living sermon to my friends, people that have known me long enough. Victory over death. As a young man, I didn't experience much death. Somewhere in my 30s, death started to become very personal. Family members and friends. And I remember putting on the walls of my sister's hospital room, John 14, 1 through 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he will live. And if you believe in me, you will never die. The older I've gotten, the more I cling to the promises of the resurrection. Don't you? Seemed like such a far way off in my 20s. Over despair. Victory over despair. I confess that one of the things that God worked in my life is he caused me to love people, and I can tell you that loving people is a crushing job. It is very, very hard to see people suffer. 
It is very hard to watch a world that continues to kill each other and crush each other. It is so hard to hear stories of how people treat children. I can't even imagine it. And I look at this world and I... If not for Christ making some sense of this mess, I would despair. I would join with those who agree with Simon and Garfunkel and I am a rock, I am an island. I don't want to hear it anymore. La, 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 la. Take me someplace where I don't see the pain. But my Savior suffered and died and went through pain And now our pain has purchased with him. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He prays for us. He loves us. He hurts with us. He wept over us. And he makes a promise that he will turn all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He basically is saying, I'll make sense of this mess for you if you'll trust me with it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to trust the risen Savior. Victory over division in my life. I was a debater and an arguer and liked being right. I still have some of that in me. But I burned some bridges. My Savior has built the bridges back and changed my heart. The victory of the resurrection is not for someday. It's for today. It's for us. This despair or or division was not just with people. It's with myself. It's that inner turmoil. It's not just with myself, but it's with my relationship with God himself. I can walk into the presence of God in prayer and not expect to be beat down. I can walk into his presence and he's forgiven me because of the blood of Christ. And Hebrews tells us we can go in boldly and call him Father. Father, save us. Help us. And finally, victory over hate. It is in my nature to hate people who hate me. Let me say that a different way. It is in my nature to hate people that I think hate me. It is in my nature, said a different way, to hate people that I think might hate me. It's in my nature to despise people that I think look at me crossways. I'm very self-protective. Victory over hate means loving first. So loved are we by Christ who died and was raised that in the glory of that and in the shadow of that, how could we possibly do anything but love each other? Even the people that we don't always like so much. The day of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ means there's victory. 
Could your life use a little victory? I invite you to place your trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead. I invite you to take a second look, set your doubts aside, and look in the open tomb. I invite you to look at how he's changed people's lives, not just mine, but other Christians that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord knows we're a mess still. We're not the Savior. There's plenty of flaws still in me. But I've been changed. And because I've been changed, I know my Redeemer lives. On this day of all days, I don't want one of you to leave without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. As we close in prayer, I'm going to actually lead you in a prayer. And I, my first prayer that I gave my life to Jesus was super simple. It was, I give up, I can't fix this. You're going to have to fix it. That was about what I prayed and fell asleep. And my world radically changed the next morning. Praise God. So why don't you bow your heads and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're so inclined to pray this in your heart with me, it is my deep desire that all of you would be saved. Dear Jesus, I confess that I am in need of a Savior and that I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sins? Thank you for the cross where you paid for my sins. Thank you for the empty tomb where you were raised and I can know that I will be raised. Would you take me as your child? In Jesus' name, amen.